This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and we're back continuing our look at England at the European Championships in the run-up to this year's Euro 2020. Already we've spoken with fans who followed the Three Lions to Italy in 1980, West Germany in 1988, Sweden in 1992. We kept it local in 1996 and went to Belgium and Holland at the start of the new millennium. All those episodes are still available at threelionspodcast.com or your chosen podcast provider and all have been really well received and I hope this one will be too. So we've made it to 2004 where England went to sunny Portugal. We'll speak with another fan very soon let's take a look at the period of time running up to it. As I mentioned, Portugal were the hosts, beating neighbours Spain and also the joint bid of Austria and Hungary. 31 matches involving 16 teams were to be played in 10 venues across 8 cities. Aveiro, Braga, Coimbra, Guimarães, Faro, Lieira, Lisbon and Porto. So it broke down to four groups of four for the 12th edition of the tournament. And the hosts qualified automatically and were joined by the usual suspects. The holders, France, Germany, Italy, Russia, the Netherlands and Spain. Sweden and Denmark were the Scandinavian representatives. Finalists in 96 were the Czech Republic. They were also there. And making their second appearance at the tournament were Croatia, Bulgaria, Switzerland and Greece. And making their debut was Little Latvia, who'd been independent from Russia since 1990. And in fact, Croatia, Latvia, the Netherlands, Spain and Russia all came through via the playoffs. England were the only British representation and qualified as winners of Group 7 ahead of Turkey, Slovakia, Macedonia and Liechtenstein, where they won six and drew two. Turkey were only a point behind in qualifying, and they went into the playoffs and fell at the final hurdle. They lost to Latvia. Whilst Wayne Rooney went on to make his name at the finals, he'd already scored two in qualifying. David Beckham had scored five and Michael Owen four. And all of England's home matches were played on the road due to the construction of the new Wembley Stadium. Southampton, Sunderland, Middlesbrough and Old Trafford Manchester all had the privilege of hosting the national team. Sven-Goran Eriksson was the man in charge and he picked 23 players for Portugal. Three in goal, David James, Paul Robinson and Ian Walker. His defenders were Gary Neville, Ashley Cole, John Terry, Sol Campbell, Wayne Bridge, Phil Neville, Ledley King and Jamie Carragher. Midfielders were Stephen Gerrard, David Beckham, Paul Scholes, Frank Lampard, Nicky Butt, Owen Hargreaves, Joe Cole 
and Kieran Dyer. And up front, Wayne Rooney, Michael Owen, Emil Heskey and Darius Vassell. And it was David Beckham and Owen Hargreaves, the only two players plying their trade abroad. Of course, David Beckham at Real Madrid and Owen Hargreaves was at Bayern Munich. Jermaine Defoe missed out, as did Rio Ferdinand, who back in September 2003 missed a routine drugs test after a Manchester United training session and was subsequently banned for eight months as of the turn of 2004. Now, there was talk before the tournament that the players, led by Gary Neville, would go on strike and not participate in the tournament if Ferdinand wasn't reinstated. In the end, nothing materialised and the team headed to the Lisbon suburb of Oleras that they used as a training base. Back home, the BBC moved away from their traditional classical opening theme tune and brought in popular dance duo Basement Jacks. ITV also went mainstream with images of previous European moments set to Happy by Max Sedgley. Now the tournament came around and England were drawn against France, Croatia and Switzerland in Group B. Sweden were drawn in the same group as neighbours Denmark and Group D saw Germany face foes Holland, although both those rival games ended in draws. And the tournament began with a surprise. As Greece, they beat the hosts, Portugal, by two goals to one. Let's find out some more from an England fan who was there. Talking Portugal 2004, England 7th Euros and England fan Mike Curtis joins us as he was out there for it. Mike. Hi Russell, how are you? Very good, thank you. Yourself? Very well, thank you. You put your hand up and you said I went to Portugal. Yes. Let's rack your brains and let's uh, let's hear about it. Yes, uh, Portugal was my first away trip with England. How did uh, following England come about? I've always really followed England because I live quite close to Wembley and my father followed England through the 70s and 80s and when I came along early 80s into the 90s I started following England on the TV like most kids and then obviously Euro 96 big tournament for everyone so anyone that was a teenager at that time picked up on Euro 96 997 met some friends at a social club and we all supported football different teams a couple of lads going over to France 98 with family and really that's where I started picking up watching England with the lads. Well, 2004 came round and, and yep. one of the main things that I remember, it was almost a perfect tournament as in the setting for it. It was Portugal, it was a almost a holiday destination yep. and the sun would always shine. When you see pictures of England fans, there are flags everywhere. Yep. It was that's what I remember initially when someone says to me, Euro 2004, I just see banks and banks of St. George's crosses in, I think it was probably Benfica's ground. It um, probably would have been. It, it was just a, a sunshine tournament. That's uh, right. Yeah, it was. What happened with us is a few of the lads decided to go on holiday. We spoke about it about a year before. Uh, we applied, found out in the November. Oh, we got England 
versus France in Lisbon. So is this through UEFA or through Yeah, we applied for UEFA. So at at that time, I wasn't part of England Factor. A couple of lads were, and I think three or four of us weren't, and we were just lucky with the tickets, which, again, is quite common. As I think we've all found out since various tournaments after, that's quite a common process that people apply through UEFA sometimes, especially if they're not England fan members and get an England ticket. Hell on your feet. Yes, England-France, first England game in Lisbon. Like you said, it's great weather, great holiday destination, a place I'd never been before, a place that a few of the lads that I travelled with at that time never been before. So, yeah, it was a first lads holiday abroad, shall we say. All right. So, uh, I mean, did you just go for the... How many tickets did you apply for for, for games? So we, so we applied originally for three games, six of us in total, and I think two of us applied for three games and the rest applied for four for a game later in the second week. So we had three games, which was England-France yep. at Benfica's New Stadium, Netherlands-Germany. Spicy. Oh, very spicy. And that was at uh, Estadio de Gaulle in Porto. And then Italy-Sweden, uh, right. again in Porto, which was the final game of the week. Good opportunity to see a few games as well. And then we managed to source a couple of tickets for um, Denmark versus Italy up at in Rush, where we played in the Nations League. Oh, okay, yeah. So when we went out there 28, 2019, <laughs> you'd already been there. I had. Didn't remember too much. I, I kind of remember the square, and that was yeah. about it, and the ground. So excitement was growing then. You got your tickets. Got tickets. So we found out in the November. So this was pre-internet sort of, and smartphone days. If I remember correctly, the draw was on a Sunday, and I was out shopping. And we got a text message through from one of the lads saying, we've got these games. It's like, oh, brilliant. Absolutely mental. Mm. Like, England-France, you're not going to turn that down for anything. And then I knew Germany-Holland was quite a big game, probably as big as something like England-Scotland, something along those lines. So, yeah, six months leading up to it. We're looking forward to it. The squad was looking good, quite strong. Players, like, really coming through. Mark Lyman playing well. John Terry was still around. David Gerrard, Dave Beckham. So it's a real strong squad that you thought, actually, we might do something here. Yeah. Also, Rio got banned, unfortunately, in the January, if I remember correctly. I think there was always that question of who would be in the central halves at the time, uh, especially for the first game. With, it's France, because with France being the holders, it was looking like it could be quite a tough opener for England. Yeah. What I remember at the time, there was quite a big push to really sort of get Rio reinstated so he could play in, in the Euros. But I think in the end, the bad was the bad. And I think Ben went with Terry, Campbell and Lenny King. I mean, there were three really good centre-halves, don't get me wrong. But would Rio have been that extra little bit, maybe so that we maybe pushed on a little bit? I think in hindsight, you're probably right. He, if yeah. he'd have come, then then our back line would have been a lot stronger. We all know what he was capable of. Agreed. Uh, but you never know. And we could have easily results could have fallen the way they fell as well. So you, you never know. True, yes. But yeah, but the team was looking good. Rooney had just came through maybe the year before, if I remember correctly, sort of 2003. And he was looking like a real player at that point because he hadn't moved to United. So he didn't move to United till after the tournament. So it's 2002-2003 was really starting to come through. Everyone and was he, really remembering his goal against Arsenal, weren't they? Yeah. And also, he played really well against Turkey just before the tournament. Turkey were in our in our Group 7, weren't they? Yeah. We're looking strong. We're looking get out of the group and let's see how we go. Relatively easy place to get to as well in terms of Portugal. Yeah, it's a straightforward flight, wouldn't it be? <laughs> Come on, Russell. <laughs> where, where have you a straightforward flight ever been with England away? 
you always go for the cheapest route, don't we? Was it the cheapest? I would say whatever route we can take at the time. You sound like you've got a story to tell. I do, I do. So being that we were, most of us were either at uni or first year of working lives, we decided to get flights. Unfortunately, we got the cheapest flight that we could get. And this is, again, pre-Sky Scanner days. Yeah. So it's, it was a po day, I think. We got, uh, we managed to, our flight out was three flights. Three flights from where? From London to Portugal? Yeah, so it was Heathrow <laughs> to Barcelona, Barcelona to Madrid, Madrid to Porto. Hardly worth getting in the air for Barcelona to Madrid, is it? Uh, um, no, but I think when when you're first year of work and you probably haven't got a lot of money, you'll take what you can get. Yeah. And also being the fact that we were based in Porto rather than Lisbon, where England's first game was, we were hoping to save a little bit of money on that side of things. Yeah. And my friend had just had his first child about 18 months beforehand, so we tried to keep costs down. We knew it was going to be a long day travelling on the Saturday because we flew out on the Saturday. We all knew that, and it wasn't a problem. Well, we thought it wouldn't be a problem. Go on, what, tell me what happened. Well, as you know, when does ever flying with England ever go without a hitch? I mean, <laughs> most of us got a story somehow, somewhere about flying with England. Yeah. Out of the six of us that went over to Portugal, five of us were on the same flight. One was on a slightly earlier flight. In a normal case scenario, it wouldn't be a problem. We get to Heathrow. Again, this is pre e-check-in times so for those of us that remember that time minimal internet anyway you get to Heathrow go to check-in three of us check-in no problems two other lads there's probably check-in right apparently when there'd been a problem with our flights and they'd moved the flights but for some reason the flight company hadn't booked our two of our friends on the second flight at all they forgot to do it <laughs> right <laughs> it's a bit of a problem if you so we had flight number one booked and they had flight number two but but nothing for number two nothing in the middle nothing in the middle no right <laughs> which obviously looking back with hindsight again hilariously funny anyone else would have found it really really funny but when you're trying to get out it's a bit of a oh my god what we're we going to do especially um, when it's your first tournament away first, or first, first england yeah exactly first tournament away first time i've flown with the lads first year holiday abroad never really flown other than with my parents at that time didn't know what to do anyway we left the two lads there check it trying to sort it out being the friends that we are <laughs> so we'll, we'll go we'll go through to departures and go to the pub <laughs> we go through security and it, he throw they had a couple of uh police officers stroke uh border control probably a bit both waiting between sort of security and duty free sometimes they did now still anyone that looked young english male was getting stopped leading up to the tournament a couple of days before there'd been a little bit of trouble in the south coast of Portugal, in Albufeira. I don't know if you remember. No, I don't remember that one. No. Yeah, there'd been a little bit of trouble with Faro. So I think the police were being safe rather than sorry, really. And also, Euro 2004 had been the first Euros, really, after Euro 2000, where there'd been a lot of trouble. And I think the police, like I said earlier, were being safe rather than sorry. Yeah. I went to check, which is not a problem. So, friend number one, pulls his passport out, gets checked. You're fine to go straight. Number two, yep, no problem. I come along, hands my passport over. Sorry, sir, there's a problem. What do you mean there's a problem? <laughs> Can you wait here, sir? We need to do some further checks. At this point, I'm starting getting a bit nervous because first time I've flown, half an hour later, I'm still there. They're still doing the further checks. And obviously, in the process, I was getting lots of stick. The police were having a bit of a laugh and a joke. 
with me about, oh, where are you going? What are you doing? I couldn't understand what the problem was. They did explain to me. So the problem was someone with my name and date of birth was on a football banning order. Same name and same date of birth? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. No <laughs> Because of that, they had to do the extra checks of obviously address. But obviously, in the process, you're thinking, oh, wait, this is a great start. One, two of my lads might not get on the fly. I've been checked for football batting order, which is don't really, I knew I hadn't been involved, but it's still, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. Anyway, we, we get a call from the lads. They've been rushed through security, brilliant, but they haven't got flights sorted out for the second leg yet. All right, here we go. The airline said, get to Barcelona and sort it out there. Right, brilliant. Get over to Barcelona as you do. Go to the airline, had a chat, got it sorted. We'd moved to Madrid on the second flight, no problem. We landed in Madrid after going to Barcelona. If I remember correctly, Portugal versus Greece had just kicked off. Was that the opening game? Yeah, it was. Yes, I think it was. Right. Because Portugal and Spain were in the same group. So it's Portugal, Spain, Greece, and... Well, I think it was. We'd heard a rumour that Greece had got one up. I'm like, well, that's a bit of a surprise because no. Portugal being the hosts and had a reasonably strong side at that time, we're one nil up. So we landed in Porto quite late on to find out that Greece won 2 1. I thought, oh, that's a bit of a shock result. This is late night, probably be about half 10, waiting for the bags to come off. And three lads picked up their gear, two of us standing there waiting around. Bags haven't come off the conveyor belt. <laughs> Panicking. Panicking, stop sitting in. Uh, where's the bags? We look at each other. And we think, right, there's a few England fans milling about. The bags must be coming off. They're probably just delayed. 15 minutes later, still no bags. Go to the bag handler team. Didn't speak much English. No more bags. Yes, there is bags. <laughs> there's not a flight full of England fans, but it was a very busy flight. And I would say there must have been about 20 or 30 people milling around still waiting for their bags. The bags hadn't turned up. Apparently, they were still in Madrid. Oh. Uh... Yeah. Like you said earlier, it was a lovely week planned. Lovely hot weather in Portugal in the beginning of June. I had travelled in jeans, typically, and a T-shirt. And luckily, I had a spare T-shirt in my hand luggage. But we had no other clothes. Me and a friend. So it's like, oh, here we go. This is going to be fun. But they said, don't worry about it. Your bags will be here tomorrow morning. So we said, okay, fine. No problem. We'll um, go to the hostel tonight. We'll drive up to the airport in the morning, pick the bags up, and then drive all the way down to Lisbon for the first game because we were, had to have a quite long drive down, but the airport's not that far out. We leave the, the airport, but we got a bit lost. <laughs> How many uh, of you were on a minibus then? Six of us. Right. So it's two, two that can drive, and both hadn't driven in a foreign country, and never driven a minibus either. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't do it now. You'd be a bit more sensible now, looking back on it. And also, this is pre-internet days, so we couldn't we could, do you know, the GPS, we did our sat-down, we had a, a local oh, map. Eventually, we found the hostel, and... I don't know if you remember from Porto. There's a quite big bridge out to the other side of Porto over the river. Oh, yes, where the trams go across. Yeah, we ended up the other, quite away the other side of Porto from where right. our hostel was. Eventually we found it. Got in quite late. Had a couple of drinks. So in the following morning, I phone up the airport using a payphone as well. <laughs> payphone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and ask, where's the luggage? And like, my luggage, yep, yeah, it's definitely arrived. Not a problem. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Ask about my friends, and they were a bit more cagey with the response. I'm like, okay, this doesn't sound good. Stuff it, we'll just go and pick, it'll be there, no problems. But surely it's just a language communication problem. Yeah. Get there, 
My luggage is fine. First thing I've done, out of jeans, into shorts, put a t-shirt on. Mate's luggage still in Madrid. hasn't come over yet. Oh so we, Yeah, so obviously we've just sort of said, look, we've got enough luggage between five of us. Then do a couple of shirts for a couple of days so we can sort out the luggage. So we then we decided we'll drive back to Lisbon. The game was the late kickoff on the Sunday. Equivalent for 7.45 kickoff, I think. Don't worry about the luggage issues. It's just part of travelling abroad. Did you go to Portugal or Benfica? I didn't go to Euro 2004, no. Right, OK. At Benfica, for those people listening to the podcast, there was a massive big like mall not far from the Benfica ground. Benfica's ground, what I remember, ha- had been updated for the tournament maybe a year beforehand, maybe about six months, but it was a really quite impressive ground as you're coming up to it. Being England fans, we thought, we'll dive into this mall, get some food, find a bar, go over to the game. And we found the 10-pin bowling in this like shopping mall. <laughs> right. Okay, fine. So we were popping there. We've got nothing better to do for a few hours. It seemed like every England fan had the same idea. It was full of England. English. England fans going 10-pin bowling? Bowling, yeah. Oh, gold. Everyone's having a laughing joke. There was no trouble at all. Brilliant. Probably a couple of hours before kickoff. We decided we'd go over to the game. And we slaughtered over, as you do, to the ground. And then being this was like the first major tournament since a lot of the changes in security post sort of 9-11 and that. The Portuguese security were being quite robust, shall we say, about what was being allowed into the grounds. Right. Nowadays, we're quite used to no bottles, no cans, no this, no that, yeah. which we're quite used to. It's part of, part of our sort of being a football fan nowadays. Back then, I don't think we were quite used to it. Like you mentioned earlier, it's been quite a nice day. I'd say it's probably the late 20s, early 30s, weather-wise. A few of us had bottles of water, a bit of sun cream as well, just the more favourite members of the group. It was all taken off of us by the Portuguese uh, right. stewards. Well, okay, not ideal, especially we've just bought it out. It's all about you've only got like one bottle between you. The stewards had uh, taken a bit of a liberty and thought, well, musical instruments aren't being allowed in either. Oh, well, like the England band? Well, I don't know if it was a band or if it was just instruments in general. I remember seeing in a black bag a trumpet and something else as well. Fine. Just on the floor in a black plastic bag. So obviously they've been quite strict and robust in their stewarding. And like everything, it was just left there. So we went in the ground. One of the things I must say, if not been to Benfica's ground, it is absolutely amazing. I've got a lot of good things to say about Estadio Andalus. One of the best grounds I've ever been in. Just beautiful, beautiful ground. Pretty much open air. Big circular ground. Really modern. Obviously, it's probably it's 20 years old now. But at the time, it's an amazing ground. When you say about England fans and lots of English and England flags... I've never seen so many England flags in a ground before. I would say it was 90% English with wow. St. George's crosses everywhere from every club. Because this was the France game and, and yep. France don't tend to travel, I don't think, do they? No, they don't. I, I mean, it's very similar. Like, Italy don't really travel very well either. But yeah, definitely France it took a very, very small, there was a small enclave of French supporters just to one side as where we were sitting. So we were sitting behind the goal further up and they were sort of Ahead of us, onto our right. I would say probably blink two or three thousand, no more than that. Which is surprising because they were the holders still. So you thought they would have brought a few more fans over, but they didn't. yeah. I, and I don't understand how so many English got tickets, and I, I still don't understand how. That's what happens. <laughs> we we find our way in. <laughs> exactly. And hearing "God Save the Queen" it was just something else. So going on to the game, it's it's funny. Normally, I'm quite remembering about. Ebbs and throws of the game, and I really don't actually. Maybe it's the 
first England game away. And everyone says, oh, you remember your first game? And I really, really don't. The only bits I remember is the Matt flag and what happened in the last two minutes. Well, I mean, it was it was Frank Lampard that had put us ahead, though, hadn't he? We, yep. we were looking like we were going to... We hadn't gone... We hadn't won a, an opening Euro game, I don't think, ever. Um, yeah, that, I, it's been this... a while, and there was talk about, us, oh, it's unlikely to happen again. In France, holders, quite strong side. That's right, Frank Lampard scored, but we also missed the penalty, I think, in the second half. I think Bex missed the penalty, blasted over the bar. I know where where I was. I was watching this one in a pub. It oh. was like everyone was going mental. But like when you're in a pub, obviously you're having so many beers. You go sort of relieve yourself at half time after like 45 minutes, and then second half came round. I'm like 45 minutes of a few more beers. I need to go again. <laughs> We've got this in the bag. I left to go to the toilet when we were one nil up and on 90 <laughs> minutes. <Okay. laughs> and. Uh, Needless to say, I came back and we'd lost, but you, you were there to actually see it happen. Yeah. People say you always remember certain things in a match, and those last two minutes, I think, are probably up there with the worst two minutes I've been in the ground in terms of we were in control, potentially could have gone 2-0 up, a couple of minutes to go of injury time, around about the 88, 89th minute, we give a free kick away. And Zidane stacks up. Now, Zidane at that point, Probably one of the best players in the world. Yeah. Got a lot of good things to say about Zidane, except when he stood up to take that penalty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, sorry, not the penalty, the free kick. And then, two minutes later, the unthinkable happened. David James gave him a penalty away. I think it, it was a short back pass. James brought the player down. Penalty. Zidane took it. France scored. Not the third minute. England weren't going to get back into it. People say, it's, does it still hurt? Yeah, it does what? still hurt. What was the England reaction like in the ground? Because obviously being 1-0 up, it must have been buzzing. Everyone was saying, this is it. And then to, to well, capitulate, I don't know, just to lose it in that manner. It's interesting you say that. I, I can't actually remember. I know my own reaction was I wasn't happy. Some colourful language was probably used. <laughs> and it was a signal. We should have won that first game. It's one of the few games I thought, you know what, we should we had this in the bag. I don't think we spoke on the way back. You can hear the pin drop on the minibus. That was uh, the first first day, really. A bit eventful. But sometimes we played some good football. And we thought, well, if we win our next two games, which are pretty winnable, we're qualified. There's no issue. And the second day, we managed to drive up to Gibraltar to see Denmark versus Italy. Again, lovely hot day. It wasn't the most enthralling of games either. I think it ended one all. So that was Gibraltar. Um, so, yeah. Nice little ground, decent weather, nice little town. So then we had a, a day off, played a bit of football in the hostel, which is quite a nice place to I remember of it. Outdoor football, sort of astroturfy nice. uh, football pitches. So we had a few drinks, a bit of a kick about. Uh, yeah, it was good. That was a good, nice day off. And then we, um, Germany Holland, the next day. Yeah. And that, where was that? Was that in Porto? Yeah, that was at the Estadio de Gal, Porto's ground. So Porto's ground had been done up for the tournament again like Benfica's ground. A lot of the grounds had been in Portugal, which is quite common. Yeah, there's a lot of investment put into yeah. it, wasn't there? Agreed. What I do love about Porto's ground, it's very really strange architecturally. So you've got sort of the two long, tall stands left and right, and two sort of half tier, shall we say, at either end. It was a very ground I've never seen before. It wasn't typical of an English ground, even at that time, what I call the four box sides, mm. or the oval bowl that we've seen in sort of Benfica. It was very different. It's like, wow, this is amazing ground. 
because I stood outside it for the Nations League. Yeah. Uh, I didn't actually go in, but it's almost like it's dug into a hill, isn't it? Yes, yes, that's right. It's where the station is in Porto. It's sort of quite way up the hill, away from there, and it's at the top of a hill, and it's on the side of a motorway. Just a really bizarre place. Yeah. But actually, I don't. I never remember it being on the side of a hill at the time. It's only when I went back that oh yeah, I remember this. And Jeremy Holland. Yeah. Well, I've known there's multiple connotations regarding Germany and Holland. They played each other. I think the eighty-eight Euros. It's a semi-final. Final. Yeah. Yeah. There was a. There got a bit sort of. A, there had been a bit of aggravation on the pitch. There was also the. The the nineteen ninety the World Cup where where there was the spitting incident yeah wasn't that was there? what I was thinking of as well. Jeremy Holland and Fletcher Neighbours both pretty decent footballing sides. It was a very interesting game. I think it's actually in the Dutch end. Do you have which... any trouble being English in there in uh, the Dutch? No, not at all. Actually, if, if anything, it was very anti-German. A lot of Dutch were fine with us being there because. Obviously, England, Germany, Dutch and Germany, there was a very mm. similar kind of uh, agreement in thought processes. But no, the Dutch were brilliant. Never seen anything like it. See orange everywhere. That is the one thing about the Dutch, isn't it? Yeah. They they look great. They always turn up in, in numbers and they turn up in colour. Yeah. Someone had driven a double-decker bus from Netherlands down to Porto. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> decked out in pure orange. Like, everyone was in orange. We used to see St. George's flags we wear, everyone in, like, white tops or red tops, but... This was something else. If you don't like the colour orange, you would have had a bit of a problem. It was it was amazing. So we were in their end. And the game was actually a pretty good game. It was a bit feisty, which you would expect. What I do remember, I think it was like Schweinsteiger's, one of Schweinsteiger's first games for the German national side. Schweinsteiger was the next best thing coming out of Germany. He's the next David Beckham. He was a bit of a jack the lad at the time, apparently. And I remember him coming on and getting absolutely pelters from the Did Dutch. He? But it was just getting abused. Yeah, it was a really, really good game. Really feisty atmosphere. Didn't get any trouble. The feistiness and the atmosphere was all within, encased within the ground. And there was nothing outside, which is where it should be. Yeah. Then we had another day off. Because on the Wednesday, England played down in Coimbra. So this was England's England. next game, which was against right. Switzerland, wasn't it? That's right. We had been trying since we landed in Porto to try and get some tickets. Unfortunately, we were quoted silly prices we were offered 500 quid for two tickets which wow. now seems silly and i would never pay it in a million years but at the time i don't know what was going through our heads we said yeah that's quite reasonable but can we get it down to like 200 each we'll pay it being that it's like our first holiday abroad why would anyone ever want to do that i think we had money we were thinking about it we wanted to go see england we decided yeah, not to pay for the ticket which is a shame because it was actually quite a good game this so was the, the one where Wayne Rooney basically introduced himself to the world, was, wasn't it? Yeah, he absolutely had a blinder. And I actually think it's the performance in the Euros that made Alex Ferguson go get him. Right. That. So we watched that at the time in one of the squares in Porto. So it's not down by the river, it's more in the city centre. It had a big screen up and we watched it there. And yeah, it was a good afternoon. After losing to France, we needed to win this game, didn't we, yeah. to keep our keep ourselves still within the uh, within the group and in the chase. And That's say, right. Rooney got two, Gerard got the other one, and uh, and we were on our way, weren't we? Exactly. I didn't realise that the next game we couldn't do because it, it was in the second week, so we were gutted to come home on the Saturday. But we accepted it. We knew that that could possibly happen, so we thought, well, we still got the last game, Porto, where, which we were, where we were based. So well, next game, Croatia against England was in Lisbon. So we said, okay, we'll do the Italy 
Sweden game on the Friday night before we fly home on Saturday, which we had tickets for. We went to that, again, at Porto Stadium. Again, Italy don't travel well, but did actually bring a few fans over. Sweden brought a few fans over. was a massive support on his side. The stadium was full, but it was a lot of fans, like most major tournaments, that are neutral. Yeah. So, me and a friend that were flying home on the Saturday due to work and costs and kids, we decided to come home on the Saturday. And we get to the airport, get through to uh, the gate, plane's delayed. Uh-huh. Right. Not another nightmare journey home, quite massively because of some Spanish air traffic control issue. I seem to think we flew back into Madrid, completely missed our flight to uh, Heathrow, <laughs> just well missed, well missed it. Which frustrated us because British Airways must have realised at the time that it was a whole, there was a collective flight. Apparently, the plane flew off with like ten people. On. I don't understand why they didn't hold it. I never, I still don't. Uh, so we were there at Madrid Airport trying to get pretty much a full plane's worth of people on the next flight or the next three flights back to Heathrow. And I'd never missed a flight before, so I didn't know what the process was. I didn't know if they put you on the next flight or you had to pay. I was not, 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 not a clue. Obviously, I worked out very quickly that they just put on the next flight because it's not your fault. So we managed to get on the next flight back to Heathrow. Okay, we don't live too far away. We'll just be a bit back a bit later than planned. We decided not to get public transport. We'll grab a taxi. Tune to us, not that much. Jump in the black cab. About a mile and a half, two miles from Heathrow. Please pull over the black cab. Right. Uh, stop the cab. It's like, oh, God, here we go. We didn't even know it's not us. Well, we hope it's not us. We find out the, the black cab's that got faulty tail light. One of his, <laughs> either his uh, brake light or one of his lights, his back lights are not working. The money's ticking over and ticking over as we, the police is into his black cab driver. And he's like, the last thing we need is being stopped. The police didn't even apologise. They were just like, having to go, no, deal with this cab, you've got to have to wait. So eventually they sort it out. I don't know if they gave him a warning or told him to fix it. I don't know. They would take us home. He charges us the full fare on the Really? <laughs> yeah. That's and harsh. I'm like, it's harsh, really harsh. I, I should have argued the case, but I was just like, you know what? Pay the money, get lost. I'm going to go home. So over there, it's a really good tournament. I don't know why I would ever fly a game with England after that, really, because obviously we'd lose luggage on the way out there, the three flights, two flights on the way back, getting stopped by the police. You kind of think, why would I ever want to do that again? Well, clearly I did, because here I am 16 years later still doing it. And, and to be fair... It did give me that buzz of supporting England abroad. And I immediately joined the fans club, actually, when I came back. I didn't do... I'd done the odd away game when I could afford it. And then it got to a point where I was doing as much... Every home game and some away games. And it kind of got to a point where I wanted to do every away game. And so that's where I've been really sort of ever since. And that's sort of my career with sort of England, really. And, you know, 2004 was a good tournament. Should we have won it, though? I mean, because... It's an interesting question, because I think we had a really, really good team. I think really getting injured... Because that was the game... That would have been the next game that you obviously would have seen on the telly, wherever you were for it, because we played Croatia. I must have watched that at home. Rooney was was on fire that game Absolute beast. Absolutely amazing. It was the next George Best, Baradona, Pele, all built into one. He could do no wrong. Yeah. We've beaten Croatia... 4 2. I mean, in, I mean, looking back, I mean, we've, we've had a few games with Croatia in, we have, in yeah. the time, haven't we? Yeah, we've had the Walcott game. Yeah. We scored the hat trick. 
And then uh, obviously the World Cup, Nations League. League we've had yeah. our uh, we've had our run into Croatia, oh, we, and we yeah. got the better with them there. But it was through yeah. to the knockouts that we were Portugal. Yep. Well, the hosts. The hosts. What do you remember about that one? An interesting one because I, I believe we went one nil up. Yes, yeah, so Michael Owen, wasn't it? Yeah, and they really got injured, and then we thought, uh oh, we're, we're one nil up. Really got injured. It's not great. If we get through, really, it didn't look good for Rudy. I thought we could struggle here. I think our strike force wasn't that great at the time. So we had we had Rudy Owen, Vassell... Uh, Heskey. Heskey. And Heskey, give her his due, does a great job. And I've got a lot of good things to say about Errol Heskey. But at the time, he was getting a lot of stick just on his performances and not scoring. You would say our strike force in later years, or even now, is probably a lot better for the choice of strikers. Because Owen was struggling going into the tournament. It wasn't on, firing on all cylinders. The cell wasn't either. He just did look good. And then they scored two. No, they scored one, taking it to extra time. That's right, yeah. I mean, there was even Sol Campbell. Uh, yes, was yes. this. The head in... of called... Yeah, was this before extra time or did that happen in extra time? I can't remember now. Well, it was either late on in the second half or extra time, one of the two. It was, it was either one where you thought, right, he's, he's won it for us here, yeah. hasn't he? And yeah. I, personally, I don't think it was a problem. No, I agree. But again, about that time, it's still really on the continent that what you would class as a, a no problem aerial challenge is no problem for us in England, but on the continent, we always get blown up for it. So, think VAR would have ruled it out anyway. Oh, don't get me started <laughs> on VAR. Actually, I don't like VAR. I, think it, I, I actually think VAR would have ruled it out, actually, thinking about it. Just the way that the way the games were refereed on the continent, they would have had a foreign ref in the VAR studio. So, yeah, I think it would have been ruled out as well. Frank Lampard equalised. <sighs> yeah, um, that's right. After, uh, I think it was Rui Costa. Rui Costa put um, Portugal ahead yeah. and um, basically went, went to penalties, didn't it? The dreaded penalties. Because, obviously, we got knocked out quite early on in the year 2000. We had penalties in 96. We had penalties in 1990. I just don't think we had... A lot of confidence in penalties at that time. Bex at that time was probably on fire, really. You think for him to miss the miss the penalty, you just couldn't believe he would miss it. I've watched it a few times, and he did he slip? Did the ball move? It's just the turf. I, I remember at the time sort of saying that it was like sad on the turf, it, a bit of a slip. So he's plot, went, gone to plant his foot, and it slipped, and he's just put it over. Rose in it, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, it was Ricardo was the, the Portuguese goalkeeper there, yeah. and, and David James was our keeper. And it, it's one of those instances where you, you actually you don't see it too often, but where a goalkeeper takes a, uh, a penalty yes, against a keeper. Yep, and he, uh, he famously took his gloves off to take it, didn't he? Yes, he did, yeah. I, I remember where I was for the 2006 with Portugal, because I was in Germany at the time. So I remember that, but for some reason, the 2004 is just such a blur. I don't know if it was just hyped up emotion that you sort of block it out and gutted that, again, England didn't win a tournament or didn't progress to where we think we should have progressed mm. with the team we had. I think, looking back on it, if we'd won the France game, took a different route maybe to the final, could we got that a bit further? Always playing the hosts in the host country is always going to be a challenge. You know you're going to have the home crowd against you, effectively. Without any penalties again. I mean, and you mentioned there, I mean, it's always going to be hard against the hosts. Yeah. 
you would think that with Greece, and, and we already mentioned it previously, Greece yeah. beat the hosts in, in that opening game and then went yeah. on to play them in the final, yeah. didn't which, they, on their own turf. Which, if, if you've got Greece in a like, sweepstake, you'll be like, oh, what's the bloody point of this? Yeah. How many people must have screwed that up and thrown it down and just forgotten about it? Or even you wouldn't even put it in like a cheek like when you get a tournament, you think, oh, I'm gonna put it on the favourites, but I might just put that real cheeky outside if it comes through, I'm laughing, but I'm gonna be laughing. No one would do it because it's Greeks. And Greeks weren't a great team at that time. I mean solid, but nothing more than that. Portugal in the final, host nation, Ronaldo on pretty decent form. Figo. Figo. Yeah. Figo would have been around. So yeah, there's some strong good players. But it just shows you sometimes the unfanciable, boring, lump it forward, lob it in there for a corner works. Well, I mean, it, it happened before, didn't it? When Denmark won it. Yep. Let's let's move on to this year. I mean, can we see an outsider winning it this year or, or what are our chances? <laughs> Interesting. I think England have got to be pushing for semis at a minimum. If we win it, brilliant. I think I'd be quite drunk if we won it. Um, <laughs> Won't we all? Yeah. You've got to fancy England to get through the group. Yeah, quite easily. Though it depends very much on that second game, which we don't know yet, which could be Scotland, which could be quite interesting. So that could be quite a, a atmos- good atmosphere at Wembley, I think. But then it, again, it depends what route we get to the final, semis and final. As long as Kane keeps fit, front three, front four, no problem at all. They'll cause damage to most teams. Sancho, Rashford, Kane, Sterling, put them on the pitch, absolutely tear teams apart. The only problem I see with our team at the moment, Russell, is midfield. I just don't think we've got enough creativity to knock it long or knock it short, sort of control the midfield. I might be wrong. You've got sort of Madison, Mount, who are a bit young. Maybe it's a tournament too early for them. Foden, again, kind of player that you would maybe looking to play in that sort of creative role. So, yeah, I think midfield-wise, I think we might have a bit of a problem. Just someone sort of big and hard and strong that can take control in the middle there. Yeah, and, just and someone put it around. like a uh, not a playmaker, like not like a number ten playmaker, but just that player that you, you kind of can pass and take control. Really, you just slow it down when it needs to be slowed down, speed up when it needs to be sped up, and, and put a tackle in as well. I just don't think we've got that at the moment. I think defensively we've got some good players. I think sort of left and right back. I think there's a number of players vying for positions. Rambisaka, Trent Alexander-Arnold, your left-backs, Danny Rose, Samori's what might be a mm. late shout, Chilwell, another one at left-back. And then centre last, you're looking at sort of Stones, Maguire. I think form and fitness have a big thing. And I think Southgate's like made that very clear, that he's only going to pick players on form and fitness and not by reputation, which I think's the way it should be. I always say the year before a major tournament, there's always that one player or two players that get called up We think, oh. Didn't see that happening. So, Which was pretty much like Rooney in 2004, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah. Very much like Rooney in 2004, Walcott in 2006. I don't think teams will want to play us. And especially at Wembley. Yeah. So if they've got playing England at Wembley, even more of a challenge. So I think France might be with a shout. They've been quite strong. I wouldn't rule them out. They are indeed World Cup holders, aren't they? Exactly. The Dutch team, again, not done so well previously but a lot of their young players now go on to big European clubs so they could be ones to watch Germans will always do well you got back England you got back you You wouldn't do it otherwise would you so yeah that's really my story about the Euros and Portugal and it was a great time to be an England fan and it couldn't have been that bad because I'm still doing England 16 years later yeah very true (laughs) 
All in all, 2004, a bother result on the pitch, a good tournament. Yeah, it was a good tournament. Mike Curtis, thank you very much. And yeah, let's, let's meet up on, a, uh, on an England trip. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Thank you to Mike Curtis there for his memories of Euro 2004. Once again, another tournament that ended for England from 12 yards. Two years later, they'd feel the same pain from the same opponent. And it would be England's last appearance at the tournament for eight years, as Steve McLaren's failure to take us to Austria and Switzerland would cost him his job. So the next time we visit this feature will be 2012 and Poland and Ukraine. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. And maybe it's given you an idea of what it was like to follow England at a major tournament. Delayed planes, lost luggage, out on penalties. It's all part of the experience. Don't let it put you off though. Hopefully, with not too much travelling this year, there won't be so many hiccups. Don't forget, all the previous European fan episodes are available at 3lionspodcast.com along with all the usual ones. Just search your podcast provider. Plus, if you've really enjoyed it, I'd be really grateful if you could leave a positive review on the likes of iTunes. would mean that the podcast gets a little more exposure and more people have the opportunity to find it. So until the next time, cheers. <laughs>